Hello, and welcome to Frame by Frame, a song-by-song analysis about legendary progressive rock band King Crimson. Come and join us in our test of discipline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Frame by Frame. This is Avery, and joining me is Ryan. Oh, how are you, Ryan? I'm doing all right. How are, how are you? That's a great question. <laughs> well. Oh, it, it has been a wacky two weeks and just a wacky several years for me. But I mentioned this when we did the episode for Great Deceiver, but I never really touched on it much or discussed it much afterwards but I'm transgender. My pronouns are he, him, or they, them. And after nine years of going back and forth with myself, I've finally started testosterone. So now that this podcast is also trans representation, whether you like it or not. (laughs) So. It'd be weird if if that made somebody switch off, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, like if you're the if you're in this deep at this point, like you you should know, like I do not know why I have this voice. But anyway, I honestly did not expect the podcast to be anywhere near as popular as it's gotten. Like I didn't think it would get any level of popularity just because of me, like because of how awkward and and nervous I've been and just working with myself trying to just accept that my voice sounds the way it does and I look the way I look, but like I said it it's just been 9 years of trying to just deal with all this dysphoria and I've realized enough is enough, but yeah, like I, I don't, I don't talk about it much, especially not in this podcast because that's not what people are here to listen to, but it is an important thing to know about me. Like if you're thinking of me, it's not she ever. Like I am not female. I'm not a woman. I'm not a girl. So, yeah, he, him, they, them. I'm a very weird, androgynous, proggy elf boy. (laughs) And I am here to talk about Bob and Bobby because that is much easier than going off about this. And today we are doing a bonus episode. We are talking about the two tracks from the Lark's Tongues era that were left out of the albums. So we have Dr. Diamond, which we've known about for many years now. And we also have Guts on My Side, which is very weird one-time performance and understandably so. Didn't some of them forget forget so, that they ever played it? Yeah, I guess it? we should. Yeah, yeah, they, they did. They played it that one time in that show in Italy, and then the bootleg just resurfaced like years later, and then they were all like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we did that? Yeah, like the lyrics are just... 
I don't even know what the lyrics are. I I couldn't even figure it out. But it's oh god, rough, it's, it's like such a rough sweet recording. Meat boogie, something about souffles. But we should start with Doctor Diamond because more is known about that track. So, what are your thoughts on Doctor Diamond? Oh, um, you know, I'm glad you're taking the lead on this one because after listening to both of these tracks, I feel like the rest of the band when John Wetton played them starless for the first time. And that is just very blank because like, it's interesting to listen to B sides and sort of like non-album tracks to see what other ideas that particular artist has going for them. And today I was thinking about like my favorite band when it comes to B sides has to be Genesis and how, just about every B-side that they have. Oh, yeah. It's Yourself, Evidence of Autumn, Day the Light Went Out, Nami Namu, Hearts on the Fire are all fascinating tracks that in a lot of cases are oh way better God. than... Oh, my God, yeah. I, I, just, I just need to add in Feeding the Fire. Yes. Feeding the Fire, I think, is one of Phil Collins' best vocal performances ever. Oh, I yeah. cannot believe that did not make it to the album, but anything she does did. Yeah, it is weird. And that's what always would perplex me about Genesis is that a lot of those amazing B-sides were left off the album and you never quite understood why. Yeah, Thanks. like It's Yourself. I know that um, It's Yourself transitioned from one song on Trick of the Tale. I can't remember which one. It was like, I think it was, was it Madman Moon? I think it was supposed to be the intro to Madman Moon. Because um, there was somebody, somebody I used to know, actually on the Genesis Discord, who made the edit for that, where they found if you didn't fade out, it's yourself. Um, it ends with Tony playing the opening lines to Madman Moon on the synth. That do 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 do, you know that little line. So I think they were meant to be together as this one big piece, but of course it didn't happen that way. Yeah, I'm like that, and I I think I've listened to that. Yeah, yeah. listen to that. It sounds really, really nice. It's like, oh, why would they? It's gorgeous. Why'd they oh change that? God, it's beautiful. Like, Jesus. I'm, I'm wondering if they did like robbery, assault, and battery instead. If like that was the switch that they made, maybe to show that they could still do stuff in the, with, like the quirky storytelling in the vein of Harold the Barrel, as if anyone actually likes that song. Bundles of fivers. <laughs> but. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that pretty much that whole that whole thing of with Genesis and B sides is meant to say that like they're really good at B sides because they're a group of songwriters and they're always coming up with interesting ideas and it's just fascinating to see these different pieces that could have an alternate universe had been an album track or you know or something more, which is a roundabout way of saying that. I do not feel that way about Dr. Diamond or Guts on My Side. Honestly, I find both of them to be very kind of bland, uninspired, and just kind of half-baked. Like, neither of them sound finished to me. Even Dr. Diamond, which I think, didn't they attempt that in the studio at one point? I was actually looking into, like, just the background in this song, and I guess they never really settled on a final arrangement. But it's it's really interesting because there's a show in Italy, April 6, 1973, where they played Dr. Diamond twice, both as the opening and 
the closing, like the very last song of their encore. Like they just gone through like all of their their repertoire at that point. And then the I guess the audience still wanted more. So I I listened to both versions from that show and it's it's fucking ridiculous. Like it's hard enough in like a good recording to understand what Wetton's saying, but then in like that second version at like the last song of the show like he is just slurring his words like you cannot make out a single thing he's saying and like the low quality like audio and like sound issues obviously didn't help but it's just like <laughs> motherfucker sound like arthur russell up like, in here okay <laughs> If any if anybody listening to this knows who Arthur Russell Almost is, you have my respect. Almost reminded me of like I don't I don't know who that is. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll send you for some me, tunes. You probably like them. Vaguely, yeah. For me, it like it vaguely reminded me of like a seventies British version of like those awful nineties grunge vocalists, like Pearl Jam and Pearl Jam was the first one that came to mind because I I cannot stand Eddie Vedder's voice. Oh, the Yarl? Just that that vocal style, that like gr- gravelly slurring, I I can't stand it. It has it it got turned. But, it's it's called the Yarl. But it was the wah, 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 that the Yarl. Yes, I always that, give. Well, here's the thing: I give Vetter a pass. Amazing. Because, well, I give Eddie Vetter a pass on it because that's just. I just like, don't like that that vocal style. But, I feel it. And there's but also, back to the subject of of John Wetton. Before I go off on my my dislike of of grunge. Well, I was ju- I was just going to shout out another. If we talk about '90s music, this will turn into a Radiohead episode. Well, I I just wanted to. So, well, I just wanted to but, just mention another British singer who slurred his words a lot that I'm a big fan of. That's John Martin. And there's a little bit of John Martin in there as well. Who's also British. Actually, he was Scottish, but um, just anyway, I just wanted to talk about John Martin. So well, British it's Scottish is British. Nah, they're different. <laughs> Don't get the but Scottish independence people all upset. Don't all do it. The people Don't from do it. <laughs> to all our British viewers, I apologize. <laughs> Anyway, Dr. Diamond. So I think you have more to say about this one. Where was I? (laughs) Yeah, it's like I I like this song, actually. And I actually wondered why they left it out of Starless and Bible Black. And I guess it was just because they couldn't find that that arrangement. And I'm thinking it must have been pretty difficult for John to sing. Like even like obviously at the end of that show, he was like I'm guessing they they probably did a couple shots or something backstage before they came back out. But like, regardless, like, like even at like the start of the show when he's singing it, like it's so hard to make out the words, like just because like it's just so fast. It's like I'm the driver of an underground train. <laughs> like I I can't even. I'll say I found the lyrics. Somebody oh, somebody. Found them. Yeah. I'm the driver of the underground train. Chaos in the streets above. To me, it's all the same. I shake your houses, then I'm gone. Keeping time down here below. I could drive my train to hell. Not a soul would know. It's literally just a subway operator. That's all the song's about. I I read that this song was about a drug dealer. 
And I'm I'm guessing it was Coke, given how fast that John Wetton sings. It would make sense. The whole like but underground, the whole underground subway train, driver, <laughs> underground train. You know, it's like an underground like system of dealing drugs under the radar. That makes sense. Yeah, I was trying to make jokes. Yeah, because <laughs> that's, that's all I no. got. All right, that's all I got. Yeah, well, well, this this song definitely whatever. Whatever subway system this guy is driving, it can't be the MBTA. It's too fast. Exactly. Exactly. But um, Boston joke. Yeah, I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I yeah I think you're right in the, that. The MBTA is chaos. Hmm. I th- I think you're right though. With but they couldn't get the yeah, arrangement like correctly because. I- I only listen to the version that's on the Star Wars and Bible Black like bonus tracks with the Spotify version, and it just it doesn't sound finished. It just sounds like everybody yeah. has their own idea of the song, but it's not finalized in any sort of way. But I imagine they were thinking that like, oh, we're good with improvising, so maybe we can just improvise and sort of it'll just come out of the air and it'll just yeah. Be- and it just wasn't destined to be one of those tracks, I think. And there's just, to me, there's nothing yeah. that's really different. Uh, to me, I, I'd say it, it has potential. And like, I'm just thinking now, like those kind of, like those parts where it's just like David Cross just plays like one note on the violin, like squeaking, like kind of, it almost kind of reminds me of like, like the wheels on a train, just like screeching as it comes into the station. There are interesting ideas and imagery going on here, but it just, just the way that they actually composed the track and played it, it just never really has like, like there's no defining version of Dr. Diamond that everyone loves. Like even the band was just, they kind of like gave up on this track. Yeah, there's no like center point in the tune that it like revolves around because to me a lot of it just sounds like pure chaos but not even like in a good way like to me it just sounds like yeah. Fripp, Wetton, Cross and Bruford all have a different idea of what they want it to be and it just doesn't come to fruition you know that they just were not on the same page for this track I think I, I get the sense that they maybe wanted to do a song where all four of them wrote it or that they just like work together on it. And because of that, that's why it just doesn't work. Cause there's not one member of the band or even two members of the band saying, this is what it's gotta be. You know, it feels like they're trying to do the independent, almost like the yes thing where they just let everybody write. Um, and because of that, it suffers from a sort of a lack of like a coherence or anything sort of central about it. Yeah, and then, like, I'm sure John Wetton probably did not like doing this one because he's much, much more of a bassist than a singer. And this is a lot of words to get out at once. They would use this track to, like, open their shows when they were opening for the Eagles. And... It, it seems like this was kind of like an attempt to just do a one-off kind of like classic rock type thing, but it didn't really work because it's King Crimson. They're not the typical classic rock. 
yeah, I just agree that there's just too many ideas happening, both lyrically and musically. Like, I think they might have liked the like the ideas and the lyrics, but then they just couldn't really like agree on an interpretation. Mm-hmm. Do you know the writing credits for Diamond? Does it have any? Um. Well, I know the lyrics are Palmer James. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm not sure like what like who did like the arrangements. I mean, to me, it sounds like nobody did the arrangements, but, but now, now, <laughs> yeah. I'm just, now I'm just being mean. So <laughs> I was like, I was always intrigued about this song because it was that like that almost that sort of lost yeah. King Crimson song that's like. You know, the wet era has another. They did another song. What? That's got to be Poggers, dude. And then you find it, and you listen to it, and it's just <laughs> like, I see why they didn't do anything with it. Though, according to the Great Deceiver box sets, they credit Doctor Diamond for everybody, all five: Cross, Wedding, Fred, Bruford, and Palmer James. Hmm. So I, I feel like I'm right, I, and I just came up with that off the top of my head that they just wanted to hmm. do a group piece, and it just. <laughs> It's it's no larks, all right? Yeah. And I just can't believe that they played this song twice at that that show in Italy. Like I want to say if, if there's any one thing that made them decide to like bring back cat food, rearrange that for this era, it was that show. Yes. Even if that performance, like that that recording, had been high quality, like by the end of the performance, they are so fucking tired. Like they do not, none of them want to be playing Doctor Diamond for the second time that night. They just didn't have anything else. Yeah, it was like, like they had like an hour and a half worth of material. Like they could have done Schizoid Man a second time. People probably would have loved that. Well, they they did though. They did they did Schizoid Man, Cat Food, then Doctor Diamond again. Well, I'm saying they could have done Schizoid so Man I'm, again. I'm I'm curious like about like just this. the second version of Schizoid <laughs> Man. Why not? Or extend the solo, or, or just, did I say or they, something? Yeah, no, sorry, it was. All right, so yeah, I said Cat Food instead of Peace, but yeah, it was Cat Food. Or, also worth mentioning, I only got two hours of sleep last night. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was it was Schizoid Man, then Peace, then Doctor Diamond. Yeah, that's that's just weird. So, yeah, that was like really early in. Like the album had only been put out like the month before. So, I'm guessing like. Something must have gone right, like that we're that we can't hear in this incredibly low quality bootleg. But for them to have done three songs in the encore, that's that's definitely something. Like the audience must have reacted really well. And I I didn't listen to the show the whole way through, but it has an early version of Fracture. Like, how long had Fripp been working on that before he? started like performing the piece live and then continued working on it in live performances before recording it in the studio. As far as I know, he started writing it when they had that sort of couple week uh, holiday between tours. I think it was between when Mir left and then they 
had to start touring as a four piece. I think that's when Fripp started working on it. On Fracture, Great Deceiver, and Lament. <laughs> or no, it was no, it was Fracture, Lament, and Nightwatch. It was those three he was starting to work on. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like they with that Italy show, they they probably weren't expecting it to go on as long as it did. But yeah, because then, like, when they got to the U.S., like, they weren't a headliner or anything. They, they were an opening act for the Eagles. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to look at, like, the set list from those shows because, like, open with Dr. Diamond, and then they just kind of run through Lark's a little bit out of order. I think they were just trying to fit in all the best stuff they could. Because they were just had the smaller gigs they could play. Yeah, they were probably focusing more on that kind of stuff than saving, you know, like back catalog stuff like cat food for when they were back in Europe, where people actually knew and listened to them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even now, King Crimson's not exactly a band that people who aren't into music know about. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so it's always been kind of funny to me that they open for the Eagles because it's like like everyone knows Hotel California. Like that song is like a part of pop culture. And like, or just like peaceful, easy feeling. Uh, trying to think of other other songs by the Eagles, but... Living in the years? They, 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 yeah, they, they also got a shout out from Steely Dan in the song Everything You Did from their album The Royal Scam. Turn up the eagles. And then the in turn, they've referenced them in Hotel California. Yes. I'll always remember that line. That's a good line. And there's, um, yeah. there's an old YouTube series called Yacht Rock. Um, and they did an episode about this like making up this rivalry the Eagles and Steely Dan had. And I'll always remember um, they had, I think it was Glenn Fry and oh, Don Henley being the Eagles guys. And they listened to that line. Like they're just sitting there at the record play listening to it. And then they're just like, those motherfuckers, they call us out. <laughs> and then they like go to the studio and like beat them up and call them nerds and everything. And it was just, it was just funny. It's old. It's from like 2007 or something. It's, oh, it's, old YouTube. Nice. Yeah, it, it's a classic though. In fact, you could argue, some people would argue that the term Yacht Rock actually came from this series that like named it. This sounds like a, a piece of mid-2000s internet culture that I need to see. Oh, yes, yes. I fucking live for that shit. Yes, I'll, I'll make sure to... Uh, Just the, the wackiness of the internet when, like, 2007, like, I was just on, like, Club Penguin and Webkins, but it's a different different place, different I'll, time. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to send you the, the link so that you know it, because <laughs> it is well worth your time. Nice. Were we talking about Dr. Yeah, so Diamond or something? Yeah, so there's also Guts on my side. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say uh, Guts on my side. That one song that they only did one time. 
and never play it again. You know, I noticed something about Guts on My Side. Um, I noticed something. I like it more than Dr. Diamond. I just want to throw that out there. Um, I think it grooves a lot better. I think it grooves a lot better, and it has some nice bass work from John. But what I noticed is that you remember when I was talking about that Easy Money improv frag dusty wall carpet? That's like the one that they filmed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Guts on My Side is that improv turned into a song. Like, listen to them back to back. Really? If you listen to them back to back, you'll be like, they're similar. Like that bass riff John plays is right from that. It has some of the same, like same beats in it. So I think they were trying to turn an improv into a song. They did it that one time, but they just never got around to doing it again. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I mean, just they did not like the song. I pulled up the lyrics. They're, Amazing. I'm I'm gonna read them. Sweet meat boogie, take me to an eating meeting. Breath comes heavy, rolling back the plastic sheeting. Gonna get guts on our side, gonna take a table and ride. Crunching with the crabs de mornay, shovel up the muscle souffle. Oh, worth mentioning here, souffle is spelled S-O-O-F-L-A-Y, as dictated by the secretary at EG in London. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, keep things tidy. Scrape the sausage off the ceiling. 10-ton creepers hauling off potato peelings. Gonna bend the runcible spoon. Pulverize the great macaroon. Smuggle in the queechy Lorraine. Gurgitate the hash once again. I, I'm reading this as it's spelled. Minty mother, keep me feeling bright and happy. Avocados, inside must be soft and pappy. Is it, drop an oyster straight from the can. Fumble with the passion fruit flan. Gonna find some room for a roll. Penetrate the toe in a hole. Sheaf head salad, sending off the ingestion. Take no notice. Slimmer's making foul suggestions. Camembert, the cucumber cream, crucify the galloping bean. Fingers getting hot in the stove, dip them in the. Sip a glass of 71. Claret shadow. Oh, God. Claret shadow newts de verdun. Those just. Those sound like. Like a spiritual successor to cat food. But it's just not as yeah, good. Yeah, kind of. What What is this weird love this era had for cat food? Like they played it live and now like this song is like trying to do something similar with the, the food theme lyrics. It's just. I, I'm just like, did, did he get food poisoning at some sketchy restaurant or something and then just wrote about it here? Yeah, like guts on my side. Is that just like him well, throwing up so much? in a state so of much? complete delirium from the food poisoning. Yeah, like he just threw up so much that his guts were just at his side or something. I don't know. (laughs) The mushrooms are mentioned more than once here. No, that would explain it. (laughs) Shit is dangerous. Anyway. 
yeah it, yeah and, I'm, and acid's yeah it's better yeah and it was they only did it that <laughs> one time and half the band didn't even remember they did it which i think goes to show their opinion on it <laughs> yeah but, and but it's like john didn't even sing all the lyrics like i think he just got to like I, I don't even know. But it's so weird but, that I found myself liking it. Yeah, more so this article. Than Dr. Diamond. I just think because yeah. there's there's actually a form to it. Like there's a structure. It act, it has like a beginning, a middle, and an end. That it is something. And I think it's more of a something than Dr. Diamond is. But I'm still fine with it not being anything because I think this era had enough really good songs that it didn't necessarily need to add all of these extra stuff. Maybe if red went a different way, maybe then these songs could have been on that, but I don't know if these, either of these could have ended up on red, but I do think like I, I'm, I know that Dr. Diamond was considered for Starless and Bible Black, but then they just couldn't settle on an arrangement. Because like you said, there's just like, they all had different ideas of how to interpret it. And like, they never really agreed on anything. Like, I I think they just kind of like, they were willing to move on from it probably because it it was kind of different from most of the other stuff that they were doing and just with all the lyrics and I'm sure John Wetton did not want to have to memorize all that while like, while having to like, you know, like be playing the bass and also like when they get into like the improvs, like, I imagine like the amount of work like to have like all, all these lyrics memorized in your head that you have to sing and then when you're not doing that then like coming up with something on the bass that's never that you've never done before and making sure that that like fits in with what the rest of the band is playing like that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, like even like the Night Watch the ty- like that's that's another song with a lot of lyrics that they didn't really play too much. And when, but, but, and then when John would sing it a lot of the time, it was kind of slurred. I love that song. And I think that song is much more stronger structure, but yeah. And I, and I think in the case of, of the night watch i'm i'm just thinking of this now like with the music being a little slower and more subdued that was a place for all of those lyrics whereas dr diamond it has all these lyrics but then there's also a lot going on musically so it's it's just like chaos and i guess right. that would kind of fit the vibe if you were seeing them live in 73 but like to sit down and like go out of your way to like listen to this track as like an al- part of an album experience. I'm starting to see now why it, it didn't fit. Well, cause I was thinking that like with Star Wars and Bible black, I almost want to think that adding all of those improvs 
was they were they did that because they couldn't get Dr. Diamond or Guts on my side ready for the record. So they're just like, let's go through the archives to find some improv yeah. we really like and put them in there. Because I think Fracture was always planned to be live. Um, and I think Trio was planned to be on the album as well for being such a beautiful moment. And then Starless and Bible Black. I think, yeah, like Fracture, Trio, and Starless and Bible Black, all three were live. And I believe all were on the same date. We're all planned to be on the record because they just work so well for what they are. And I think they wanted to leave where we'll let you know in the mincer. I think originally those were going to be Dr. Diamond and Guts on My Side were going to be where those two tracks are. But because they couldn't get them album ready, they decided to just choose those instead for consistency. Like you could almost imagine Dr. Diamond coming after Lament and then going into Nightwatch. Almost. Yeah, yeah, like that, that would definitely work. Like if I was going to say, like, I think if they had settled on an arrangement for Dr. Diamond, what I think they would have done is made Starless and Bible Black, the like the title track improv. I think they would have made that shorter to make room for for Dr. Diamond. But I honestly, I don't think they were even considering Guts on My Side at all given that they just played it like that one time and the lyrics what a strange tune a little too strange if you ask me it's like <laughs> yeah cat food is peter simfield at the grocery store and guts on my side is palmer james throwing we... up in a hotel room <laughs> yeah <laughs> and to anyone listening to this like if you if you google king crimson guts on my side lyrics then you'll see an article on the dgm website about this song so i i guess what had happened was palmer james called up eg with the lyrics to this song and a secretary wrote it down as as he dictated the, the lyrics to her so that's written down somewhere and in the article they keep the misspellings from the dictation that that secretary did and mm -hmm. there's some pretty interesting misspellings yeah i'm curious to why palmer james felt the need to have those specific misspellings the way that they are like, was he just trying to be profound or trying to say something that is just... I don't think it was him doing the misspellings. He was, like, speaking, like, on like on the phone with this lady, and then she was writing down what he was saying, and she misspelled it. Okay. So you don't think it's anything profound? And then profound. they just kept it intact for whatever. It was just a mistake. No, I, I I don't know what could be profound about souffle being spelled S O O F L A Y. See, I don't know either, but these but, weird these weird Europeans from the seventies have an interesting perception of the world. Okay, so I was just giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, they do. Hey. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so I I was just you know giving them the benefit of the doubt. Hey, I, I'm respectable to creatives and usually and I'm also, something there. 
Yeah, no, I, I feel that. I'm also, I had to look up the runcible spoon. Sounds like a, it's a spork. It's a fancy word or a fancy term for a spork. I, I think Palmer James just ate like five grams of mushrooms, smoked like some incredibly powerful, like just some like massive bong hits. It maybe did a couple dabs, just just went went like a couple decades into the future to do that. Then then he came back, went to like the weirdest fucking restaurant he could find. And this is his experience. Uh, You know what? I'll agree with that. That sounds good to me. I've only done mushrooms a couple times, but it's... They're weird. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, going back into that, like, I know... Peter Sinfield used psychedelics as writing for King Crimson. So I'm I'm sure Palmer James just knowing like this where he was at the time and like who he was, like like I'm sure he did like some stuff, but I, I'm wondering like I'm wondering how much of it he did, because like I don't I don't really get like the kind of like psychedelic vibes that that I get from Peterson Fields lyrics. But I agree. Drugs were definitely involved in the making of the song. It, yeah. <laughs> I view it as like like I I'm just I, I view the Sinfield era as like acid and then the Wetton era as like cocaine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's hard. It, it's harsh. Pretty, that's pretty it's aggressive. Spawn. You'll probably get a bloody nose at some point. You know, that's I think a really good description <laughs> of the wet era in general. Yeah, like honestly, I I think I talked about this a little bit in like the early episodes when we first started doing this, like when we were going through in the court. I actually I've. I have trips to King Crimson many, many times, and especially those, especially those like early albums and like Peter Simfield's lyrics kind of, they kind of stood out to me as like I, someone who's been writing their entire life, the kind of headspace that you get into on acid, like the observations that like people make when they're under the influence of that drug. In Peter Sinfield's lyrics, like, there's more of, like, this kind of, like, whimsical, like, fantasy feeling to it of, like, something coming from, like, a dream world, like, distorted reality. But then Palmer James's lyrics are very grounded. Whereas, like, you get the vibe from Peter Sinfield that, like, he did a like a couple too many tabs and just started like going the fuck off and no one was there to stop him. Yeah. Lizard. Lizard is a very good example of that. But yeah, like like Peter Sinfield, I like with his lyrics, I just get the vibe that like he was probably tripping alone a lot and just 
he'd just be like writing and writing and and then it's like he'd probably like edit the lyrics a little bit like after the trip or whatever but it was mostly just that and then Fripp probably just got kind of fed up with that eventually like I'm just thinking like because like when you stay in that world in your head for too long then other people can't really reach you and you can't really reach other people it's like it just becomes like this very much like it's all like in your head you're all just like going in circles within yourself hey ho hey ho Yeah, just just thinking now of just the contrast between Sinfield's lyrics and Palmer James's lyrics. Yeah, like that comparison, like Sinfield's lyrics are acid, Palmer James's are coke, like that that's spot on. Mm-hmm. Just makes the most sense like, to me. So Yeah, like Palmer James doesn't really like he never used the kind of like flowery, obscure, esoteric language that Simfield used a lot. And like Simfield would talk about all sorts of just like 21st century schizoid men. That's about like his observations of what he thought the future might hold and his fear of, regarding that. And then, yeah, just we'll just go through in the court again real quick. I Talk to the Wind is about, like, that feeling of just being an outsider and trying to find yourself. Epitaph is about the horrors of the Vietnam War and watching the people you love get, like, drafted off and, and like, die in it and, wa- and just hearing about all this death and violence. And then... Moonchild it must be about like some some girl, and then like in the court is it's like what is that song actually about? Like that's just something in Peter Sinfield's head. And then you get to the the Wetton era, like like Palmer James's lyrics are just they're a lot more direct, and even even Doctor Diamond, it's not clear right away what it's about but then when i read like it's supposed to be about a drug dealer like i looked over the lyrics again i'm like oh yeah underground train yeah i see that so it's like he would use metaphors but not like like peter sinfield was like all metaphors yes yes absolutely i think that was probably something that appealed to fripp when he met Palmer James, that he wasn't using like the flowery language that Sinfield did. Cause I'm sure like by that point, Fripp was just sick of it. Like even Ladies of the Road, which is like the grossest, like just this nasty song about groupies. Like he's still, he's still writing in that flowery P- Peter Sinfield style, like opening line of Flower Lady's Daughter, as sweet as holy water. Like, but it's about a, a groupie, a teenage girl. Yeah, it just Palmer James tended to be a lot more raw in his lyrics. Much more focused on like the present reality, like his own present reality of 
the music industry and relationships he was in. Some some painting he thought was cool, I guess. Yep. <laughs> the, they're very, very different writers. <laughs> it, it's just interesting to notice like the shift of King Crimson, like the band started with the lyrics and of 21st Century Schizoid Man and the riff, but the lyrics were really what started it. The ideas that Peter Sinfield had. And then when he was gone, it was just Fripp who wasn't a lyricist and he just wanted it to be more about the music. But clearly like he didn't want it to be entirely instrumental because that doesn't, that doesn't really sell. Like that wasn't really, I don't think he was, he was going for like some entirely instrumental jazz thing. Like. Nah, that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, like he needed to keep the vocals there, but he didn't want another indoor games. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Um, so what um, What versions of Dr. Diamond did you listen to? I know uh, you said the, the Atlanta one. Uh, yeah, I believe that was the only one. Hmm. So, and I just found it very kind of whatever. So I didn't, I listened to it a couple times because I was like, am I missing something here? But just overall, I found it to be just kind of forgettable and almost just kind of generic crim. Because I think even Fripp at one point described the song as just kind of generic King Crimson. And in a way I can hear that. Um, but generic in a yeah in a way that doesn't work i think yeah i was going to say it's like it has like all like the typical elements of a king crimson song from that era but like there's nothing about it like there's no like really great riff or like or really i i think some of the violin is really cool but overall like it's not there's nothing that's like strong enough to like really like carry the, the rest of the song. Yeah. I'll agree with that. Whereas guts on my side, I like it, but I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's just, it was like a fun one-off sort of thing that never came to fruition yeah. as far as we know, um, which I find a shame. I think that would have been an interesting little, little gem to have around, but it wasn't meant to be. But, you know, King, King Crimson would attempt funk or being funky later on. So we'll be okay for that, in my opinion. <laughs> funky. Oh, yeah. Um, anything else? <laughs> Any final thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I also listened to the Atlanta show and... I'm kind of wondering, like, were they feeling like a little bit like nervous at all opening for or just out of place? Because like that that show, I listened to the whole thing. It's definitely not one of the strongest from the era. Like it, it's good, but like even like that easy money into exiles improv. Like I just got the impression 
it kind of like wanders and then they were kind of they had to like pull themselves back or like there was like a moment in the improv where like John Wetton is really comes in with the bass while the rest of the band is playing kind of quietly. So like, he's just doing like this thing on the bass for a little bit. Then he just stops. It's like, he kind of realized like the rest of the band wasn't in tune with what he was doing there. Yeah. And then like, once they finally make that transition from easy money, like the improv into exiles, it doesn't land quite the same way that some of the other shows did. I'll agree with the that. The show that they did a week before in Cal- uh, Berkeley, California, that show actually started my bootleg collection, mainly because I thought Fripp's announcement was just hilarious. But also because like that Easy Money Into Exiles improv, like hearing it for the first time, that one I remember just... It was really good, but there was a lot of uncertainty for them, I think, around this time. Like, they were still trying to work a lot of stuff out while they were on stage, and not everything works. That is true. Listening to these bands who have such, like, a curated discography to hear these kind of, like, bits and pieces that maybe we're going to be something or not kind of just shows they're just as like human as anybody else's, you know, and that's, you know, they, yeah. they, they try things that don't always work. And it's just, it's hard to to hear that or understand that with like an older band who just like, they have, you know, the recorded work that has been there for years and years. So to hear stuff from that same era, um, that isn't that, but maybe isn't necessarily as good. It's almost like a learning experience or almost kind of like it allows you to humble yourself to the band, you know? Yeah. Like you never want to idolize anyone or, or anything really like even just with music, like just to view like another musician or band is like, Oh my God, everything they do is, is flawless. And that's just not, that's just not true. And like you don't want to like hold any anyone or anything to that that standard but like it, it's also just interesting to listen to too because it's like here's like these ideas that they have that they just they just didn't like it for whatever reason it just didn't didn't work out oh yeah and and then going back to what we said or what you said at the beginning about like Genesis and their their B sides, yeah. Like it, it's interesting. King Crimson actually made a, a pretty decent choice here, at least with guts on my side by kind of leaving that one out. I do think Doctor Diamond could have had potential if they had more, a little more time with it, but they were probably more more focused on the improvs and and the other like more like instrumental stuff so like i'm sure like john wetton's reluctance to have like a song with all these lyrics i'm sure he he probably wasn't a huge fan of of dr diamond and i'm sure that that was probably a big factor in why like a song with with lyrics and everything didn't make it to the album and then Guts on my side is just wacky. Yes. Wacky, wacky <laughs> Pete. 
Wacky Richard. Yes, very, <laughs> very much so. Wacky Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I'll do it for Starless and Bible Black. It felt like a very long so, road, like a long journey. Yeah. And now we're on the road to red. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> we have quite a journey ahead of us now. I, and to our listeners, I, I hope I hope you all can stay with us through through this and the, the changes that I'm going through. We do this podcast because we, Ryan and I, we both love King Crimson and this has just been like my love for this band and progressive rock has been a huge part in helping me find myself uh, in the past four years. And now that I've realized I can't keep letting myself live in the shadows and just be miserable. And I feel like I'm moving on to a new and better chapter of my life. And I feel pretty okay about it, which is unusual for me (laughs) to have any sense of optimism about my future is something I have not experienced in years. But it feels good, doesn't it? It it does. I'm, I'm hoping when we get to the end of this podcast, I'm I'm hoping my voice will be in the same range as Adrian Blue, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you to do the uh, the the lyrics for Maybe Neurotica. I'll, I'll do a cover of Neurotica. Yeah, Neurotica. Let's do. <laughs> Yes, that that is what our audience but, will most likely yeah, wants so. to hear. So, if you want to hear that, you got to let us know. So, make sure you email us at framebyframepod at gmail dot com <laughs> and let us know that's what you want, and we'll get it going for you. Well, I was gonna say thank you all for listening to the first of what I think will be a little sub series of bonus episodes. Um, I, I have a sense we're gonna do a couple more of these as we go on at points where it feels appropriate to sort of break from the normal song by song to discuss more specific things within the canon. I don't feel the bonus episodes will be a one-off. I think they will be a semi-regular occurrence in the pod. So hopefully you enjoy those because they're going to be a bit, a little bit more broad in our, in our discussions. So. Yeah, I'll do it. So where can they find you? I'm Egg Chungo on Twitter, all one word. I, I'm also on Instagram, egg.chungo. It's just my username everywhere. It used to be Egg Hatch. But now it's Chungo. Yes. It was part of my spiritual journey. And you can follow me on Twitter at Thrack94. Probably see a lot of like video game and political stuff on there, but... If you want to talk to me about Crimson, you can do so there. And who knows, next episode, you might want to talk to me a little bit because we're starting a new album next week, and next time anyway. And I've been teasing my sort of opinion on this one for a while. And that is, of course, Red. So we're going we're gonna to round out the 70s with, with the, final, the final opus for the band for a good 
long period. So until red, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.